today on the Carbon and Podcast, I am talking with Emma Yates, who is on our growth and innovation team here at How Good. She is going to be talking to us about plant-based products and sustainability and how you can make and formulate and reformulate more sustainable and regenerative plant-based products. Um, Emma hosted a webinar all about this a few weeks ago, and you can find that on our website. Um, but for now, I would love to get started by giving Emma the chance to introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about you, maybe what you do at How Good, and um, your sustainability journey. Mm -hmm. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk through this innovation piece of sustainability again. Um, my name's Emma Yates. I'm on the How Good Growth Innovation team. So I'm primarily working directly with clients to figure out exactly what they need out of the sustainability data and information that we can provide for them. So whether a client is looking to use data for research and development, for product innovation, or to tell their story via marketing, um, I try to piece those all together to deliver something meaningful to them. And I have a background in sustainability um, way back to undergrad and researching um, anywhere from entomology to soil science. And that led me into the composting world where I spent about six years dealing with compost marketing and operations in the New York City area. Uh, so that brings me to the far end of downstream impacts. And I absolutely love working upstream in the food space now. Oh, that's great. I um I live in New York City currently and I don't have access to compost. Um, I think that it's building by building a lot of the time or block by block in New York City. Do you have any tips for anyone who's maybe wanting to compost in a in their apartment or wants to reduce maybe their food waste if they're not able to compost? Yeah. So I know there's tons of new technology that's been rolling out over the past few years that is specific to like these countertop composters. I personally don't use those right now, so I can't speak to how effective and sustainable they are, but I would recommend looking into that. Um, if you are in a larger city like New York City, oftentimes like the community gardens in your area will offer those types of options. So maybe looking into that as well. Oh, that's amazing. There's a community garden not far from me. And I do get relentlessly targeted on social media for those countertop <laughs> composters. I haven't yeah. broken down and gotten one yet. Um, no pun intended, uh, but I'll let you know how it works out if I do. Perfect. I, uh, I'd love to start by asking you a little bit about the webinar that you put on a few weeks ago. I'd love for this to serve as sort of a highlight reel for people who weren't able to watch the full webinar, but you absolutely should go and watch the whole thing. Um, there's tons of great insight in there. Um, you know, what are some of the trends that you're seeing around, consumers, their preferences around both, I don't know, product trends, but also sustainability? Yeah. So we're still seeing a huge need for, of course, price point and nutrition um, for consumers when they're making decisions in the grocery store or online. Um, but what is growing and growing year over year is that consumers are looking to have more insight on the sustainability of those products. Um, we're seeing consumers become more and more educated in this space. 
And it's forcing brands and retailers to respond to fulfill those needs as consumers increase their own education on what they're eating. Okay, so I think that we all are aware that plant-based is all the rage um, and that it's being talked about a lot, um, not just for um, CPGs and and consumer trends, but also retailers and and food service providers. Um, Do you want to talk a little bit about why it's important to make sure that we are innovating plant-based products sustainably um, and not just assuming that they are are already environmentally uh, friendly just because by nature of being plant-based products? Yeah. So as we look at consumer trends and consumers increasing ability to make decisions based on the sustainability of products, when we're looking at these plant-based products, consumers are actually holding them to a much higher standard than a conventional product. Consumers are assuming that a plant-based product is more sustainable And if it does not actually end up adhering to the guidelines that they have given that plant-based product, they're much more likely to face criticism. Do you want to call it being canceled in the marketplace? Um, Because they are putting out the perception that they are more sustainable, um, but not actually holding up on their own end and following through with sustainability standards. And would you say that people are trending more toward... I don't know, climatarianism is something that I hear a lot about or vegetarianism or veganism. I think there are a lot of claims out there around what diet is best for your body and for the planet. What sort of trends are you seeing in that space? So in this space, we're seeing a huge increase in this term called flexitarian, which I think is really appropriate for this stepping into sustainability but there's still a lot of questions to be answered um, by the food industry to the consumers. So consumers know that consuming vegetarian diets is oftentimes more sustainable for the environment than choosing an animal-based product. So while a lot of people are trying their best to be more sustainable in their day-to-day life from their own consuming habits, uh, they still want that flexibility to be able to consume cheese or meats Um, depending on the situations they're in, if they're out to dinner or there's family events, um, or if they just have trouble getting access to specific types of vegetarian or vegan foods, they want the ability where they don't have to draw the line and completely identify, but they're, they're comfortable stepping in and out of that space. Sure. And it sounds like maybe the the motivator behind these kinds of choices is less of a moral concern around consuming animals and animal proteins and more of an environmental or maybe a combination of both. Um, But it seems like there's like an environmental motivator behind some of this trend. Yeah, I think there's a big mixture in that and it's hard to draw the line. Um, I'm sure in a lot of cases, there's overlap on both the ethics and morality around consuming animal-based foods and also the consumer's own dedication to sustainability. Um, So we see both of those at play when we're considering this flexitarian topic. Okay, so now that we've touched a little bit on the environmental side of consumer trends and consumer choice, Um, what are some of the ways that climate change is going to affect our food system 
over the next decade and and vice versa how can we how can we and, and our choices affect the food system yeah so there's so many different aspects of the system that we could look at to determine how it is our food and our planet going to be affected by agricultural systems um, but one of the most, I think, striking ways that our food system will be affected by climate change is through the actual yields of our crops, um, through the additional stressors that are being put on our agricultural systems, whether that's through the soil, um, through um, increased temperatures or more severe weather patterns, we are seeing less yields. And I think the stat is, and NASA said by 20... 30 or so, we may see a crop like corn, which is the base of so many products that we consume, decline by more than 15%. So that's a very direct cause and effect that we're seeing um, that I think is really important to think about. So what, what might be done from a more upstream perspective to produce, you know, these CPG products with lower, lower impacts? Yeah, so there's a ton of avenues that a CPG could take to decrease their impacts and then demonstrate that. But the first thing that an organization needs to do is to effectively measure the impact of the ingredients and then, of course, the products that they're creating. Um, without that baseline, you have no avenue of effectively communicating or innovating for, for long-term impact reductions. So in the webinar uh, a few weeks ago, you talked through a, a couple of different examples of products that might surprise you when it comes to sustainability. Um, do you mind talking through one or, or more of those examples with us now? I just thought it was so fascinating and a really great way to kind of anchor this very big, complex upstream problem in like a product that I'm familiar with. Yeah. So of course, as you know, at, at how good we measure not just one metric, but we're looking at eight core metrics from carbon footprint to water use, biodiversity, labor risk, land use, and more. And one of the comparisons that we looked at in the webinar was specific to milk and plant-based milks. So in a conventional milk, there's no organic certifications associated with it. Um, of course, that has the higher carbon footprint, and most people guess that that would have the highest impact with that metric specifically. But when we look at the water use metric and looking at blue water use, the oat milk actually uses almost twice as much water as conventional milk does in that on-farm production. So I think it's really interesting to ensure that as we move into more regenerative spaces and systems, we're not just looking at these singular metrics and that we're analyzing the system as a whole. Yeah, absolutely. And you and you mentioned that location is one of the most important factors when it comes to the impact of ingredients and therefore the products that are made up of those ingredients. Um, and particularly when it comes to carbon accounting, um, can you talk us through why that is? Yeah, so of course we can imagine all of the different places in the world that let's just say milk where that is produced. And depending on different regulations that allow these operations to produce the milk in a specific way, or depending on the climate in that environment that 
requires more or less resources for the cows um, or the water scarcity in that location or the land use bio and biodiversity that's being affected by having a farm there will all affect the sustainability of that operation. So it's important to look at all those different metrics in the locations um, that those products are coming out of to get a holistic view of what is the true impact of this ingredient. So what you're saying is that just because a milk is plant-based doesn't mean that it's automatically going to have a lower impact than a plant, uh, a, a non-plant-based or a dairy-based milk. Um, and, and that it might have something more to do with how and where it's grown. Am I getting that right? Yeah. And I think it's also important to consider each organization and the values that they have for their ingredients, products, and what they want to deliver to their consumers. For some products, the most important thing to that company is to reduce greenhouse gas emissions. And we see other organizations that are more concerned about biodiversity and soil health, and that is the improvement and measurement that they want to make in their products. So I think a lot of it is relative to the organization or the regulations that you're working under to, to get that holistic sustainability view and then pick and choose where you can make the best decisions for your products. So a really interesting example that we examined in the webinar was comparing a mushroom burger, so a plant-based burger versus a conventional beef burger. And within our platform, the mushroom burger holistically scores really well. And we're able to see the carbon footprint, which is relatively high on the beef burger. Uh, the water use on the beef burger is a moderately high risk. And then we're able to compare the mushroom burger, which has a very low carbon footprint and a relatively low water use risk. This is an area where if a food service company was interested in decreasing their carbon footprint, maybe offering the mushroom burger at a higher percentage would help you decrease the amount of beef burgers you sell and therefore decrease your overall footprint specific to carbon. Sure. And maybe even like, that's good intel for your marketing team to say, um, let's push this mushroom burger a little bit harder, or even um, to kind of tout the, the sustainability impact reduction or environmental impact reduction um, that has already happened by serving this mushroom burger in the first place. Exactly. So I think that another way that comes to mind immediately for me when I'm thinking of sustainable products um, is a certification like organic or um, Rainforest Alliance or something like that. Can you talk a little bit about the ways that third-party certifications can help um, either make a product more sustainable or communicate sustainability to consumers? Yeah, that's a great question. So when we look at certifications, um, which there are tons of them and a lot of them are awesome, it's important to note that certain certifications will affect certain metrics. So for example, in most cases, when we're looking at any form of an organic certification, that will often impact metrics like soil health or biodiversity. But in an organic operation, it may not affect the water use. So if you as an organization have goals associated with certain metrics like greenhouse gas emissions or water use, 
maybe it would make more sense for you to focus on other certifications like regenerative organic um, or some other form of water smart that would enable you to focus on those metrics versus one that you're maybe not as focused on.